Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Welcome to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. Meredith and I are pumped because (laughs) I can't contain my laughter. (laughs) We're just prepping for this episode. By the way, we have a really extensive prep, (laughs) which we won't share with you. Don't tell people. We won't share with you right now. Trade secrets. Our trade secrets, exactly. But we do have an extensive prep, and this prep tickled us because. (laughs) I was talking about the youths, the youths of America. What did I say? The youngs. The youngs. So this idea came to me recently. Oh, no. Because (laughs) it was like we did an episode. This was probably two years ago. It's like one of the first episodes we did. It was like things that make you go, ew. Or was it like, or like, I got a bone to pick. I got a bone to pick. Meredith had a bone to pick and I had a bone to pick. Well, we're going to revive it in some ways, but packaged in a different type of episode. Okay. So this episode is about, so a question that we get a lot from parents of young kids. One of my second cousins just called me the other day because she has a three-year-old. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, we got to apply to schools. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Are we going? A lot of that, right? This year. This year. Okay. And for littles. A littles. For the okay. littles. Yeah. Are we going the private school track? Oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. How do I prepare? How do I prepare? It seems it's, uh, oh my God, college seems so crazy now. How do I prepare my kids to get ready? Should I, this prep school, the right way to do it is a public school. We do have an episode about that, by the way. So you can listen to our prep school or public schools episode, but this isn't about that. It's about this bigger picture idea of like, you have little kids. What am I supposed to be thinking about as a parent? Because I know I I want them to have this opportunity to go to college and go to, quote unquote, the best college that they can get into. We hear that a lot from parents. I don't know that I necessarily need that for the kids that I work with, but I know parents care a lot about that. So we're going to talk about that. And then you'll hear my bone to pick nested into this episode. (laughs) (laughs) It will be very obvious. (laughs) Yeah, we're not so subtle. (laughs) I would say. So... There's three elements which Meredith and I will talk about. I think it's as we're prepping, we're, we're kind of brainstorming. What are the three things? Okay, number one, self awareness. You want to foster self awareness in your kids. What are they good at? What do they like doing? Why do they do the things that they do? How can they be helpful? In what ways are they helpful? Is there anything you want to add to that, Meredith? Around, like why cultivating self-awareness is important. Yeah. Like what does that look like for a kid? What is self-awareness or how do you know your kid is self-aware? Well, I think you have to teach them how to be self-aware. It's a skill like anything else, right? So how do parents teach self-awareness? I think it's by asking open-ended questions. What did you think about that choice? Or, hey, how do you think so-and-so felt when you did that? Mm. And that Obviously, you graduate the level of sophistication of those questions appropriate to your 
child's age. But I think it's talking to children to get them to become – I mean, really, I think when I hear you say self-awareness, I'm, I'm kind of thinking mindfulness. Like, how do I look at a situation or reflect on a dynamic mm-hmm. and then decide what to do with that information? Mm-hmm. And how do I make those separate – steps in my thinking. So it's not all just like one big ball of reactivity. Mm -hmm. So I think self-awareness is about being discerning rather and responsive rather than reactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. You like that? Yeah. It sounded really smart. Great. (laughs) Just thought of it now. (laughs) (laughs) You are so good at sounding smart. I love that about you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of teenagers that the self-awareness piece, right? It seems so obvious, but I don't know if you feel this way, Meredith, but there's so many teenagers that I work with who really know very little about themselves. They've spent very little time thinking about their own experience, right? They're going through the motions every day. They do the things that they're supposed to do. They can be great kids. They can be great students in terms of like getting good grades. They could be really active and happy. But a lot of them are kind of clueless about why they're doing what they're doing besides the fact that they know they're supposed to (laughs) and they're doing the thing that they've been asked to do and they're compliant. They're like, okay, I can do that. They are, as the book says, excellent sheep. (laughs) Excellent sheep, right. Yeah, I think what you're touching on is sort of the robotic way that sometimes our culture, certainly independent school culture, I think can sometimes foster this movement through high school and middle school and elementary school where it's performative. You know, kids learn how to be performative and being performative isn't, you know, they can do really cool stuff in the pursuit of being performative, but that doesn't equate to knowing what their values are or equate to knowing what matters to them or equate to knowing who's good to be friends with, who's not good to be friends with. You know, those are all kind of introspective questions that are important for people to be asking themselves. And we have to start that at a young age. Like, oh, do I feel comfortable with how that person just talked to me? You know, that kind of stuff. It's like healthy, healthy development. But you're right. There are a lot of kids we work with that are, when you ask them sort of the open-ended Socratic mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. they're like, uh. they're like, what? <laughs> because I'm not asking them something with a concrete answer. I'm not asking them to like write this essay about this book. I'm asking them to critically think. Yeah. And then brains explode. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, like just what do you like to study? Why do Wh- you like – I think why do you like to study Why it? Why do you like to study? That's true. It's true. Like why school? Well, some kids will come to us and be like, I don't actually like anything about school. Or There's a lot not to like. I mean when kids say that to me, I got to be honest. Like I appreciate the honesty because – There's a lot about school that reinforces the robotic performative, right? There's grades. Mm -hmm. There's, okay, do this in this way, write this kind of style of essay for this kind of teacher, but don't do it for that teacher, right? Like, that's real. It is. So how do we combat that? Like, how do we help parents raise self-aware kids from not just high school age, but I think it does start from a young age. And one thing that I think that is really helpful for kids is understanding, number one, their feelings, how they Mm, feel mm -hmm. about something, like really being able to like- Not what they think. 
Yeah. How do you feel about that? I ask kids this question now all the time and they're like, a feeling. <laughs> feelings <laughs> wheel. Feeling. Feelings wheel. Feelings wheel, right? So how are you feeling? How does that make you feel? Right? That's a question I actually ask a lot. And then the other one is really about, oh, I'm going to lose it because I'm old and I can't remember my words. The other one was about cultivating self-awareness, feelings. How do you feel? Yeah. How do you feel? And I can't remember, but it'll come to me. It'll I'm come thinking to you. About it. Well, I think self-awareness is – connecting self-awareness to feelings is so important. And then how do you cultivate that? I think modeling, especially for young kids, practice in low-stakes situations. And like literally, I mean, we we joke about the feelings wheel, Google the feelings wheel. I mean, I use that sometimes where I'm like, I, I'm connected enough to my body where I know I'm feeling some sort of distress, but I can't name it. Mm. And so having prompts and cues, having external cues helps us. I think trial and error, like when we grow and even in adulthood, like how do we know if we like something authentically or not? Well, we have to try it, right? We have to try yoga to see if we like yoga. We have to try robotics to see if we like robotics. So I think an openness to letting children experiment and try things, you know, Mm. not, not asking them to sort of like specialize too young or only play that one sport since they were four. And then pausing after an event or a game or a performance and saying, how'd that go? What did you think? How do you feel about that? What did you enjoy? What did you not enjoy? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of questions over time, I think, help, especially younger children, develop a sense of self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I love what you said about modeling, too, because I think a lot of times parents are not that (laughs) self-aware, right? Like they don't spend a lot of time questioning, wondering. And I think it's hard when you're busy. Absolutely. And it's hard when you don't have practice doing it. Yeah. I mean, you and I do it all the time. We're kind of made that way. We're made that way. It's easy for us to- We've built a career on it. Yeah. So it's funny you say that because I'm sort of always a little mystified when people struggle with it. I think some people just don't- I'm like, what? What's so hard? Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, you're weird. (laughs) I'm like, fair. Yeah, I think some people just don't really – they don't orient that way in life, right? And yeah. so it is good to see your kids, like, watch you wonder about something or react to something. I remembered. See, now I told oh. you I knew it would come to me when I was talking about something else. And it did. So the other thing is that I think a really great self-awareness practice for all of us is to understand our impact on others. Mm, yes. And I think that teenagers are, because they're kind of in this selfish, quote unquote, selfish developmental phase, self-centered developmental phase, they don't spend enough time understanding their impact. And as adults, we don't expend enough time explaining their impact in a calm and mm-hmm. non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. Not a, you really screwed this up. You made it the whole family late, blah, 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 you know, whatever that thing, that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> right. They're not going to hear that. Right. I had a student actually give me an example recently. This is a senior. So, and his style is avoidant. So mm-hmm. when he is uncomfortable, when he doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he's done what he needs to do, he avoids me. Yeah. I'm sure you don't have a kid like that. Nope. Never had one of those. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm sure you don't know that person at work, right? Like they exist. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of people who are totally. avoidant. St- and I used to be like that very much when I was a kid. And he canceled last minute, right? Like 10 minutes before the phone call. And you were like, I was get your ass on the phone. <laughs> I was irked. I'm sure you were. I was irked because I knew exactly why he was doing it. Because it was irksome? Because <laughs> he was trying to be irksome. He did it because – this is not my bone to pick, by the way. He did it because he didn't yeah. write his essays and he didn't have drafts for me to look at. And it was down to the wire and deadlines were like a week away and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he knew I was going to hand it to him. <laughs> and he was like, oh, no. And I said to him, I said, listen, I understand – that you're really busy. And he didn't say, I didn't do my stuff. He just said, I have all these other tests to study for right. blah, blah, blah. I have finals. Yeah, yeah. I got finals and this thing. I got to study. I'm so behind on X, Y, Z. I said, I get that. And I know you're super busy. I'm super busy too. And I had a student right before you who wanted to stay on our call for another half hour to keep working because she was like really needing my help. And I kicked her off for you mm-hmm. because I was expecting you to show up for our call. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know that. And now I have to send an email to your parents, mm-hmm. letting them know that you missed our call and that you haven't done the work that I've asked you to do, which is undoubtedly going to stress them out as well. So I just want you to be aware that that's the impact that you have. Like yep. this choice that you're making is not just about you. Impact. Impact people. And I didn't say it in a mean way. Like I was just like- Matter of fact. Matter of fact. Like this is and in the future, like- I want you to be honor the policy 24 hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Show up to the call and just be like, I didn't do my work, but let's do it now. And yeah. you know, I'll do that with you. Yeah. Because we've done it 10,000 times. Right. So, right. <laughs> anyways, I don't think we do that enough for young people. I think we shame them, we yell at them, or we save them. Or we save them. Oh, that's a good one, Meredith. Heck yeah. We spare them that discomfort. Yep. The amount, you know, I mean, how many times have you had in schools or elsewhere where you've had parents reach out to you instead of the child for the cancellation? Sure. You know, that happens too. Yeah. I get the instinct. So yeah. self-awareness. Yeah. What's number two? Self-awareness is huge. I think – so let's switch gears a little bit. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Since, <laughs> so – one of the things <laughs> this is going to get to my bone to pick. Oh, excellent. But you know, you and I have worked with so many kids through the college process. Yes. Just so many and really closely. Like yes. we're meeting with them every week, we're reading drafts, totally we're exchanging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We're like live editing with them on the phone or on Zoom. And I will tell you right now, folks, the kids who can read and write, who are good at critical thinking, and who read yep and practice writing yeah have such an easier time yeah getting through the college process i mean exponentially so and so i'm like good lord people <laughs> please i know it's not possible for every kid but if you can foster a love of reading Please, you're going to be doing your kids so – it's just such a huge – it's amazing skill to have in life. Because you – I mean, it's not just for the college process. Like, you don't ever get to stop writing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, regardless of the profession you pursue, you have you, to speak and write. 
You do. You and have usually to speak your and write. ability to write relates to your ability to speak. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so much of growing up in the well, so much of the college process, right, is the articulation of ideas. Who do you want to be? What do you want to study? Why do you want to study it? Why do you want to go to our school? And so there needs to be real capacity to answer those questions in more than sort of like five word sentences. Absolutely. And it might sound like Kathy and I are being sort of cheeky, but actually it's real. Like it's a problem. And I think a lot of it, I mean, do you think, Kathy, that that's, how much do we want to blame like social media? How is the internets? How much do we want to blame the interwebs? I want to blame it a lot because a lot of the reason I read, I was a voracious reader and I know you were too as a kid. The reason I was, was because there was nothing else to there do. There was nothing else. There was no other option. Like, yeah. okay, you're done. None of your friends are available to yeah. go ride your bike with you. You're, you know, Channel 5 is still playing the same freaking whatever black and white movie. You know, like there's nothing on TV because you have six channels <laughs> to choose from. <laughs> You had no choice but to find some other way of escaping and entertaining yourself, right? And books were that for me 100%. I could spend eight hours engrossed yeah. in a book and like yeah. finishing a book because it was so good. And it wasn't like I was reading Pride and Prejudice. It was like whatever. It was – doesn't really I, matter. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter, right? It was like whatever, Raul Dahl and whoever. Like it just – Goosebumps, like I, not literally, not kidding you. I was in college. I'm too old for goosebumps, but I was, I was in <laughs> so college. You read it? I have read goosebumps because my sister, who's ten years younger than oh, me, had goosebumps. Yeah, and I would come home from college, be bored because we didn't have smartphones, and I read her entire Goosebumps collection because <laughs> I was just staying in her room, and I was like, oh, "Great, I'll read Goosebumps. Why not?" But like. Kids, they need to read. They just have to. And fostering it from a young age is really important. And how do you do that? You do things like instead of your outing for the day is going to the library. Like that's what we're doing today. Oh, my God. Let's love the The library, y'all. Can you imagine my dad knowing my dad? (laughs) The amount of times. You went to the library. We went to the library. I love that. The stack of books. I love that. One time he made the mistake – did I ever tell you the story? That one time he made the mistake of saying to me that I will always buy you as many yep. books as you'd like. Yep. And I was like, Dad, that's a foolish thing to say to your two <laughs> children, like whom you have basically taken to the library for the last 10 years straight every weekend. Yeah. Oh, I used to love going to the library. Ooh. And I can picture like the – steps that they would have where they would do like the children's reading circles and then the like contests of like who could read the most books in the summer. You know I was trying to get that. (laughs) Me too, girl. We would have that at school and I was like, oh, summer reading contest. Like I would try to win that contest every (laughs) single year. I mean – I don't know if this was still a thing when you were in school, but the Scholastic Book oh, Fair. it was. Or they had the little forms. Like you'd show Loved up to it. school and they had the form on your desk. I was like, yes. And my mom, to her credit, she said no to a lot of things, but she never said no to books. Yeah. Never. Yep. I could order as many books as I wanted to and she would buy them for me. What a gift to love reading. It really is a gift. Let me you ask you a question because I don't know where I stand on this. I think I know, but I'm curious your opinion. What do you think about graphic novels, anime as an entree into reading? I'm about it. Yeah. I think I think that there are a lot of really actually 
complex graphic novels. Graphic novels, yes, especially, for yeah. sure. And I think comic books can be an entree, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's totally fine. I think that there should be more variety. Like, you shouldn't just read manga and comic books. Because at some point, you're going to have to get into more sophisticated vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Not to be down on comic books, but I don't think Superman is like, got super complicated sentence structure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I haven't read a comic book in a long time. But no, I think that's great. I think you want to foster the love any way that you can. And, you know, as the enthusiasm, the enthusiasm for it. And my immigrant parents didn't read to me, right? Because their right. English was really poor. Right. So that was not an option for them. To like at night, read me bedtime stories. Yeah. But I think now, you know, it's so cool with technology. An idea that I was thinking about was like, okay, so if you're a parent, you don't feel like you don't like to read or you can't because you're an immigrant parent, you don't feel so comfortable with your language skills and your fluency. Like, it's so amazing. There's all these books on tape now, mm-hmm. audiobooks, and the library rents audiobooks for mm-hmm. free. That's how I get 90% of my audiobooks. And you can, like, go to the library, get a hard copy book for your kid and have them read along with the audiobook. It's something we recommend to teenagers who have a hard time reading. Mm-hmm. Or have certain learning disorder or, or differences. Learning, learning differences, right? Absolutely. So it's just – there's all sorts of tricks. Or even putting them to bed with an audiobook. There's nothing wrong with that. My sister-in-law does that. And I think it – you know, listening to audiobooks on car trips, Right, instead of letting them be on their phones, like pick a book together as a family. Like I'm making, to Harry I'm making Potter. a face because I'm trying to. <laughs> first of all, so many audiobooks <laughs> on Highway Five, driving up to see my grandparents really? from LA. Are you? I love it. You know my parents. I know. My I dad I has that. listening to some. I don't know John Muir, the Sierras. <laughs> who knows what we were listening to? I think there was like sometimes it was fun. But it was – you know what was cool about that? I actually have very fond memories of that because I was wrapped. I was like following along up Highway 5 yeah. for six and a half hours. Sure. And I'm like, what's going to happen next? You know, Well, you didn't and, have a phone to look at. And it was <laughs> a, a shared experience. Yep. But I wanted to go back because I'm sort of pausing because I'm trying to think about what do I think around this idea of audiobooks instead of book books. And I think for sure for certain students with learning differences and reading differences, it's really important, and especially for articulation and sort of verbal expression. I think it can be really powerful. But I think physically seeing words put together in sentence structure helps you be a better writer. Undoubtedly. You know, so if you can throw in some pages. Undoubtedly. And I think, I don't know. I'd be curious, like, what research exists around, like – Skill in writing and volume of reading, but volume of reading divided by Kindle versus like actual books. I don't know if anybody, I'm sure someone's I'm sure done there's that. something out there. If it, anyone wants to give us that answer, I'm curious. <laughs> Let us know. You know, I'm Googling that later. Yeah, because man, do I love a good turn of phrase. <laughs> and that's how you learn them. The other thing I was going to say is watching and listening to other forms of media, right? Podcasts that can be really interviews that can be really sort of sharp and incisive. You you know that I am obsessed with The West Wing and the writing on that, the mm-hmm. dialogue on that is so quick and fun for me. And it's just exposure, exposure, exposure. Like I still watch The West Wing. I've probably seen the entire West Wing series, I don't know, like 20 times. And I'll still catch things now 
that I didn't catch initially, you know, like 19 when I first started. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great show. It's so good. I know. And I saw To Kill a Mockingbird, Aaron Sorkin's play, his version of it. So good. The writing is so good. Yeah. So, you know, read, get a library card. Also, let's support libraries. Absolutely support libraries. And I think you have to take phones away from your kids. Mm-hmm. And not give them to them too early in some ways because you want to foster this when they're younger. It's much harder to get a teenager. Oh, so much harder, yeah. Once they're like in high school to develop this love of learning, you know, or love of reading. Love of learning is the next thing I'm going to talk about. But this love of reading. And I remember trying to do this with a freshman boy. And I was like, can you just like read the Morning Brew or Daily Peanut? Like these are news. They're not websites really, but they're services. Mm-hmm. They kind of – collate all of the mm-hmm. today's top news mm-hmm. and make it digestible. And a lot of teenagers will use it because it's a little bit more accessible mm-hmm. than reading the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, they'll humor me and they'll sign up for it. But, you know, it's so much better when they grow up and that that's just like part of their world. Like there's newspapers around, the Atlantic, The Economist, The New Yorker, whatever, like whatever you're reading – Spread it around and take your freaking kids' phones away. Like, go to cabins that have no access. <laughs> totally. <laughs> go somewhere remote. Go camping. Like, <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, talk about self-awareness. It's how you learn what you think and believe. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Is to be exposed to lots of different ideas, lots of different expressions of those ideas. Ways of being in the world. Ways of being in the world. It's also how you learn to make cogent points, you know, because speaking is sort of an important part oh, yeah. of – you know, you and I love a good public speaking moment. You, we sure do. <laughs> We're like, you want me to give a speech about what? I'll I'm do like, it. I'll do it right now. <laughs> I'll do it I right need now. no prep time. And I don't know about your experience, but my experience of like telling people that that's something I love doing there, I there's, is met with a lot of odd looks. <laughs> yeah, because it's it truly is. It's not fake news, people. It is one of the greatest, biggest fears that people have is public yeah. speaking. It's and To real. me, it's one of my greatest joys. <laughs> me too. I love public speaking as well. I can like pretend that I know something about a lot of things. <laughs> you and I are similar. And <laughs> this is why we have a podcast. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I think reading is Reading makes you smarter, y'all. Fundamental. It's so fundamental because it just develops your critical thinking skills. It just... Develops your fluency, your vocabulary, your understanding of the world. There's just so many things about it that are so important. And I just know, I know this for a fact. The kids who are readers and writers, who journal, who like. Yeah, journaling's a really lovely thing. It's amazing. It's a great tool for developing self-awareness, understanding your feelings, understanding how the world is impacting you. You know, it's all this amazing stuff that comes along with reading and writing. But I'm telling you, the kids who do it, their college process is just so much easier because their critical thinking skills are stronger. So when they read a prompt, they understand it deeply. Yeah. They're more able to think in the abstract. Yeah. And abstract responses are more compelling. Absolutely. Because college is more school. And so they are assessing sophistication in thinking. Yep. In critical thinking. And this is what my next point is around this intellectual curiosity of fostering intellectual curiosity. Oh, so big for kids. And especially in the college process, when they are asked to talk about their intellectual curiosity, 
And it's so hard for kids who haven't thought about it. So they don't have the self-awareness and they also don't have the words and they also haven't spent the time fostering, developing a sense of intellectual curiosity. This is where I feel some frustration around culture and schools, I was school just culture. Say schools. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like there's a lot, you know, if, okay, as adults, yeah. how do we continue to foster intellectual curiosity? Give me an example of something you do. So I think about this a lot from like a parental mm-hmm. perspective. Like if I was a parent, what would I do mm-hmm. to help foster a sense of intellectual curiosity in my kids? You know, and truthfully, if Aiden was my co-parent, he would be much better at it because he is so naturally intellectually curious. And it makes me jealous because I'm not like the media. You say that, but I don't Well, I'm not in the same way. I, I definitely am much more like as a kid, I was interested in like Tiger Beat magazine and glamour. <laughs> like that was what I was interested the in. The place to start. Right? Like that's what I was. Tiger Beat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tiger Beat, baby. I get that Tom Cruise poster on my wall. But that was the stuff that I was consuming a lot of. And when I see my kids who are like really have this deeper sense of intellectual curiosity, I think that some of it is just temperament. I think that some kids are mm-hmm. kind of, their brains are more prone to that way of being. And they are more intellectually curious. I do think that being exposed to lots of different experiences, Mm -hmm. right? So broadening your kid's world Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. creates intellectual curiosity. So I think that's what I would do as a parent. And not like I didn't grow up wealthy at all, but I did grow up with an adventurous dad. Mm -hmm. So like... I remember on the weekend, he'd be like, we're going to Tijuana. I'm like, okay, because we lived in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And we'd like, go have dinner in Tijuana. <laughs> like, walk around Mexico. Like, what? My dad did that, too. He did it. <laughs> we had lobster. Oh, our dad? Exactly. We had lobster. Exactly. Your dad and I would get along. <laughs> but that's what, you know, like, and I remember just, like, being curious about, like, oh, wow, this place looks so different. And look at all these vendors selling this thing and what is that thing that they're selling and how much is a peso? Like, you know, like yeah. there was just experiencing life with my dad, I think made me more curious about people in the world around me. And I think that's true for a lot of my kids who have, again, I don't think it has to do with like going on fancy vacations, right? Probably not actually. It's like the opposite of that. Yeah, it's yeah. like doing just like one of the things my dad used to do, he was a hunter. And he would take me to the archery range with him. Like, he was bow hunter. Uh-huh. And, like, watching him, like, being curious about what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you load the bow and how do you kill an animal? <laughs> like, how does this actually work? You know, like, I think that helped me be a more curious kid than just, like. I was going like, make a joke about my dad also killed animals. <laughs> Your dad also killed it. Well, yeah, he did all his research on frogs. Oh, many, many a frog. Many a frog. Has been sacrificed Aww. in the name of understanding our neuromuscular systems better. <laughs> Dr. Herrera. Frog murderer. <laughs> Mike Chen. Pheasant murderer. But, you know, like, I think bringing your kids along totally. for the things and just exposing them, showing them the world, like, going outdoors – like talking about like reading the signs on the tree. <laughs> like, yeah. Look at how big this tree is. Let's read about it. 
Oh my God. My childhood was so, yeah, I think, you know, I asked my original question of like, how do you currently foster intellectual curiosity? And my frustration around schools is because now as an adult, right, we have autonomy to sort of do what we want, read what we want. And so I start often, oh, something, you know, piques my curiosity. And then I go like Google that. And then I like learn that there's a book about that. And then I read that book about that. That book lets me learn about something else that seems really compelling. And then I go read some more about this other thing, right? And I wish that schools could be less structured in the ways that they're currently structured because I think that it can, you know, I was a complying kid. And so I, and I grew up with parents who, you know, my dad's a professor. So like learning for the sake of learning was something that was talked about in my house Mm -hmm. and why that's important. Mm -hmm. But school didn't teach me that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think school really taught me that. I Mm -hmm. think my parents taught me that mm-hmm. and people around me taught me that. Mm-hmm. And I had some classes maybe that did, but, you know, it was mostly like, was I intellectually curious about geometry? No, it was boring. <laughs> but had someone made geometry cool? Yeah. Had someone shown me like this how geometry looks cool. in the world? Yeah. I'd be like, oh. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I like that. The Fibonacci so sequence. I guess – There you go. Well, my, one of my students actually wrote about it as part of her intellectual curiosity essay. I love that. Yep. I read an essay last night from one of my students. I was so turned around. I was like, whoa. It was for the University of Chicago and I, oh, I yeah. finished and I was like, perfect. <laughs> I'm utterly confused. Totally perfect. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, for you, Chicago, perfect. I was like, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I think – How do parents foster intellectual curiosity in their kids, you know, taking them places, exposing them to things? Trying new things together. Trying new things together. And wondering with them. Well, it's also how you inure them to failure. Yeah. Like, let's be dumb. Like, let's go stand up paddle boarding for the first time and we're all going to fall down and we're all going to look silly. And you know what? We're going to be fine. And we're going to laugh about it. We're going to be okay. And like, believe it or not, those kinds of experiences really are an antidote to perfectionism. Yeah later in life, yeah, right? Yeah. Museums. I went to so many museums. I went to one yesterday. And I didn't appreciate it always at the time. And my dad really, really likes a good explanation. <laughs> it's long. If you guys listen to the podcast episode, it's our longest podcast episode is the one with my our dad. Yes. My dad. Our dad. He's, every, <laughs> he's everyone's dad. He's my dad too. <laughs> he's everybody's dad. But you know what? If darned if that didn't like stick. I It – 100%. I'll tell you something one of my teachers did. I was just telling my in-laws this a couple days ago. I grew up in a working class neighborhood and my school was largely immigrants, Asian and Latino. And we, you know, again, we're kids of immigrants. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a lot of cultural experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And especially American cultural experiences. And one of the things that, and I really appreciate this, my... AP English teacher did, she would give us extra credit if we stayed after school and watched classic movies with her Hmm. or if we went to plays and musicals, field trips. She would plan plays and musicals for us to go to on field trips and we would get extra credit if we went. And we watched things like Meet Me in St. Louis, Spartacus, The Ten Commandments, like Mm -hmm. all of Gone with the Wind, like Mm -hmm. just these like kind of like kind of seminal, seminal yeah. like classic films that's cool that were i mean listen it was hyper white and american but 
it was cool. We got to see Shakespeare. We got to see musicals. I'd never been to a musical in my life. Mm -hmm. I'd never been to a Shakespeare play in my entire life until she exposed us to these things. And because mm-hmm. she knew she had all of these immigrant kids mm-hmm. who probably weren't getting all of these cultural experiences mm-hmm. and took us to museums, right? That shit blew my mind. Like it made me a more curious person, an interested person in the arts for sure. I was just like, live theater. <laughs> what is this? Like, I didn't like every play we went to. Trust and me, then her of dream of becoming a Broadway star was <laughs> exactly. born. But exactly. But, you know, it's just like that exposure was so important. Exposure. And my parents wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't have known, really. Or they couldn't. Right. I just don't think that that was even like, they were like, what? Like maybe in Taiwan they would have. Like, I remember they took me to a concert in Taiwan with one of my favorite singers. But like in America, I think that they were just like confused by everything. Sure. Right? Like how do I get tickets to a show? There's a show. What is the show about? Like sure. that just wouldn't have happened. Right. They wouldn't have had the bandwidth to kind of like figure that out and overcome all the barriers to getting me to a show. Let me ask a question. You know, sometimes we work with, not always, but sometimes we work with students who come from pretty privileged backgrounds. Yeah. And so a lot of what we're describing, they have almost like too much exposure to <laughs> not too much. I don't know if too much is the right phrase, but like They've been to the fancy restaurants by the time they were eight. Yeah, totally. You know, I have one of those right now. <laughs> they've gone to the museums or they've been on many international trips. Yep. And what do you do when you're noticing that exposure alone isn't cultivating the curiosity? Well, I think it's like you think you have to be thoughtful about the exposure, right? Like I'm exposing my kid to the same type of luxury experience every time we go on vacation. Like maybe you could do something different. Maybe you could go have like book an experience with a local and have your kids choose what they want to do. Like do something a little bit different and not be a tourist, right? Like try Mm -hmm. to – few teachers at the old school that I work at actually took a leave of absence and traveled the world with – his kids and his wife too, but they traveled all over the world. And one of the rules that they had is that they could not live in hotels. Like they could Mm. not travel like tourists. Mm -hmm. They would not look at travel guides as a way to experience their lives. They were going to live like locals, talk to people, get recommendations from people, shop at the local markets they were going to stay in Airbnbs and like not in touristy areas. You know, they were yeah. going to figure it out. <laughs> and that was the priority. It was not about like being a tourist. Yeah. It was about living a different type of life. Yeah. And it was so cool. It was such an enriching experience. Proximate to difference, as Brian Stevenson says, get proximate to difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. His kids had to talk to, he was like, you know where the Airbnb is now. There are teenagers in high school. Okay. You're going to go get our groceries. Oh, yeah. Totally. Bye. <laughs> totally. Figure out the currency. I think this is where – you know all those memes about how like Gen X would destroy every other generation? Yeah. Like I saw some funny meme about like some Gen Z person. It starts with like a video of someone in Gen Z like kind of complaining about Gen Xers and then a millennial like – interrupts her and says like, oh, no, no, honey, like, don't be doing that. Like, here's all the reasons why you don't want to mess with the Gen X. Like, we've tried. The millennials have tried and they have failed. (laughs) And it was hilarious. And it reminds me of just like kind of the hyper-independence we had. 
You know, I remember I would have to go, you know, my parents worked all the time. I get picked up from school. My mom's a veterinarian, so I go to the hospital. My mom's not really around. She's, you know, taking care of golden retrievers. And we'd have to like go get dinner and like come back. We were just like wandering around like aimless wayward children. My mom's going to be like, you were not wayward. (laughs) You walked to Long's. (laughs) But there's something in that, right? There's something in that that's so – something as simple as like I remember going to – maybe this will sound ridiculous, but I remember like there was some period in my 20s where I started noticing that I was going out to restaurants a lot. You know, like for friends and we would meet up at a restaurant and it had been happening for a while, but I just like started noticing it. And I was like, oh, this is like, because to me growing up was like going to a restaurant was actually kind of like a special occasion. You didn't yes, just girl. like go to restaurants. I know. If we were going to Sizzler, it was a big deal. <laughs> I never got to go to Sizzler. Oh, I'm so sad for you. I love Sizzler. It we was- went to Marie Callender's. Oh, def- that too. Popeye. Mm-hmm. That was good. Popeye and Popeye. Anyway, intellectual curiosity. <laughs> it matters. Give your kids some Popeye. It so matters. <laughs> That's the episode. That's it. Get future kids Popeye from Marie Sanders. But I do think, you know, all of this, the independence that goes along with yeah. it, right? Like letting your kids explore and be who they're going to be. That's all part of it, right? Not forcing square peg into a round hole. Like, you know, all of this kind of stuff is all kind of wrapped up together. And it may not neatly conform to the timeline for the college process. It's true. It may not neatly conform to the, like, activities you think they're supposed to like for the college process. Like, I think that's the piece we need to name is try not to squash the intellectual curiosity because it's not useful enough towards the college process. Absolutely. That's so huge. It goes to what John Burdick was saying, if you guys haven't heard that episode yet. John Burdick is the former dean of admission at Cornell. And John's big takeaway was like, we want to see kids who are effortlessly themselves. Yeah. Effortlessly. Yeah. Yeah. And your your job as parents is to try to support that and nurture that. Right. They are effortlessly themselves. It's. Are you effortlessly yourself? I am now. You are. I am not. I'm getting there. <laughs> you get there. I am now. It's hard though. Take time, take time, take work. Anyways, this is a long episode. We thank you for listening. Read we hope books. You- <laughs> <laughs> yes, make your children read. There's, I didn't actually mention the part that was my real bone to pick. I was reading with a teenager the other day, and you know we were sharing a Zoom screen, and we were reading something about study habits. And I was like, I want you to read this. And he reads it and he goes, I'm done. I'm like, no, you're not, because I've only read one sentence, and I'm reading along with you. I was like, now you're going to read out loud. <laughs> oh, they hate that. I was like, now you will read out loud because you are read- not reading. I make them read their essays out loud all the time. Yes. I'm like, read it out loud. Put it in your brain. Yep. Drives me nuts. Anyways, that's my bone to pick. Boom. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for listening.